when here we are, just jumping in. Once again, <laughs> this is episode what? One, two, three, four, five. I think it's five. Of Inherently Human. Inherently Human. Right. With Aiden DeBoard That's and me, me, Jim Newman. <laughs> and uh, we try to talk about general topics that will resonate with most of the people who walk the streets of this modern world we live in. They're just pretty general um, ways of exploring our own thoughts, which probably people. are similar to the thoughts everybody has. Yeah, I mean, our whole purpose here, or at least our, I guess we could call it motto, our slogan, um, is that it's nothing that you don't know already. We're just saying it for you. It's yeah. very... Every human will either experience these emotions, these these life events, and it's just something that will come naturally to us as people. And so we all have an experience with being human, and all we're doing is talking about that. Yeah, and uh, that brings up a funny kind of thing that happened to me this week. I discovered a couple of audio cassettes that my great aunt, my grandmother's sister, had recorded effectively 40 years ago. And I didn't even know that I owned them. I'm not sure why I have them. I can't remember somebody handing them to me at some point, but they sat in one of my drawers until this week. And I had an old cassette player, and so I... I'm amazed you still had a cassette player. <laughs> I, it was something just kind of that I never trashed. Okay. You know, but would have. I had to replace <laughs> the batteries. And so I put the tape in, had the headphones on, and most of it, the early part of the tape was absolute mush. I could hear the speech pattern of my great aunt because I knew it well. I had known her since I'm sure that I was a toddler. I bet she held me when I was a baby. She was at every holiday celebration mm -hmm. from the time that I was really tiny until the time that I left and went to Vietnam. I mean, she was a part of my life big time. Oh, yeah. And there were family tales that she would tell, but they turned out to be just condensed versions mm -hmm. of her life, and they had very little meaning for me. Right. And one of them was that she lost a son uh, during World War II, Kenny. Her son, Kenny, her firstborn, disappeared yeah. over the Pacific right. sometime during the war. And she would always say that she thought she knew the moment he died because she had this terrible feeling oh, about okay. it. Okay. And yeah. Yeah, that was the narrative. And I heard it time after mm -hmm. time. But on this tape that she recorded evidently with one of the members of her church who mm -hmm. took a liking to her, brought a tape recorder over, she told more about her life story and about Kenneth Michael Case, her son. He was in pre-med, and uh, he was shipped to 
Sydney, Australia. He was part of the crew of a B-52 bomber, and he disappeared somewhere over the Pacific. But the details were fresh to me. Mm-hmm. And she also also mentioned that as a teenager, she worked on the Crow Indian Agency in eastern Montana. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's right where the Custer Battlefield is. And I'll bet you a lot of the Indians that were around in 1905 were probably witnesses mm-hmm. to that battle. So... All of that hidden in a drawer forever. Just crazy. Do you think that this resonates with you more now because you've lived such a life? Or because the way that you make it sound is like when she was talking before, when she was still present in your life, when she knew you before you knew you, um, were you too young to truly wrap your head around just the expansive ideas that came off of these topics? Or these subjects that she would talk about? Well, I am the product of only one family, and I might be prone to say, why didn't my parents bring out some of this in conversations at the multitude of times that we shared together so I could have understood the richness of this woman's life? Mm -hmm. Or why didn't she mention it more? But I think ultimately I was five and then nine and then 14. And I'm sure I was involved with my own life. And I have the feeling that as many old people do, I think they believe that nothing they could say is relevant to the younger generation. Yeah. And so, yeah, I ended up uh, listening to this at my age of 72 and really maybe having enough of a global sense of awareness mm-hmm. to appreciate. Finally resonate with what she yeah, was saying. Yeah, the life that she had. Yeah, What age was she when she recorded these? Do you know? She was 88. 88. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you're kind of coming up on that. So you are now living in the time in which she would be talking about essentially. Kind of, Because if she's reliving all these memories and talking to the churchmate on these recordings, I mean, she probably was around your age right now thinking about all this stuff. And now that you've come to this age and you rediscover these very fascinating tapes that have wisdom from generations long before you even, and now you can finally understand them essentially, right? Yeah, and I don't know this to be true, but Mm -hmm. I think I would have liked, you know, I can't remember what I was like. Maybe I was too self-involved to care. Mm -hmm. Had I known more detail about her life, would I have probed more deeply? Would I have asked if she knew Indians that were actually witnesses to the Custer last stand battle or not. But the fact that she was on the scene of that area, not that long after it actually happened, that was, uh, I believe 1876. And she would have been on the reservation at 1905. 
So, uh, you know, the quick math, 30 years later, a lot of those people would have still been alive. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And that's just eerie because that's one of the major historical battles, you know, yeah. and uh, tableaus that comes down in history, you know. The only thing that I really understand about Custer's battle comes from the movie uh, Little Big Man. Sure. Is that Robert Redford? I don't remember. Dustin sure. Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman, was that's in the it. name. Yep, no, yeah. Dustin Hoffman was in Little Big Man. That's that's all I really understand or know about it. Um, what was it called? No, Waterloo is Napoleon. Yeah. The, Little Big Horn, right? That's was right, that? Little Big Horn. Little Big Horn. Yeah, you don't know anything about that, huh? No, not really. I mean, in our current age, uh, most people aren't really discussing... Native American uh, history and its relation to us, <laughs> well, <laughs> white people. You know, I'll tell you one cool thing about battlefields in general, and that is that they are one of the few places on the landscape where what happened on a specific day at a specific hour is often recorded. And so you can go to Gettysburg and be told that at 1.30 p.m. on July 1st, and I've got the dates wrong, I'm sure, yeah. of July 1st of 1863, uh, these people in this squad ran up this hill. Some of them were killed. I mean, to the hour, mm -hmm. you know what happened. You could be standing at that location oh, right yeah. now. And it gives you this vertigo feeling like, what is time, man? Ooh, what is it time? It hasn't changed, <laughs> you know? So, I think that's a good topic to go off of, time. It's very broad. Um, there's a lot of people who believe time is a human construct. Mm, okay, the passage of time? I guess... No, so the passage of time is an inherent and natural thing that will always happen, but the structure of it is a human construct. So I guess my, my thinking with this is that what other organism other than us measures time, you know? Because when a bear goes and hibernates for the winter instinctually they just know to do that things are getting colder and it's time to eat more and then sleep forever which i envy highly mm -hmm. <laughs> but we as humans have put these phenomenons these natural occurrences into a structure we put it into a box and we have given it names that day is december 21st at 6.20 a.m. So yeah. you're talking about calendar progression, like the Earth orbits the sun mm -hmm. in 365 days, yeah. give or take. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to have a leap year to make up for some sort of slippage in the timing of that. Yeah. But then you divide that uh, 365 days Farther and farther, it's good for planting to know mm -hmm. when to put the seeds in the ground, that kind of stuff. Understandably, the structure of time has been 
immeasurably beneficial <laughs> to humanity. Very clearly. I know that in the next 20 minutes, my parking is going to run out. And it, since I know that, I know I'm not going to be fined. Um, but depending on how long I want this episode to be, fuck them. Um, I'll let the meter run a bit. But uh, the structure of time only came around because humans thought it needed to be. Right. The rest of the universe runs regardless if we're here or not, right? So if we go all the way to the edge of the observable universe, that has existed and will forever exist in its own space-time continuum forever. Right. It'll never end. And then we, with our minimal understanding of our world, with our structure, how our time works, have then labeled it. Saying that that is X amount of thousand billion trillion years old, according to us. But to that end of the universe, there is an indecipherable way of measuring time. Right? Well, that's the theory of relativity to the extent that I understand it. Mm -hmm. That if someone is at a distance from you and moving at a different speed than you are, yeah. then their experience of time, if they're going faster than you, will slow down. That is faster relative to your speed. Mm -hmm. Their time will slow down. And the theory being that I do not understand this at all, um, the likelihood is if someone shot out into outer space and then came back, they might have spent 12 years subjectively, but on Earth, I don't know, 100 years might have passed. That's the theory of relativity. And how, far in, how far in space would you have to go for that? I don't think that it has much to do with distance. It has to do with speed. Okay. Um, and here, we're getting into the weeds because <laughs> I do not know very much, much about, about it. I only know how confusing it is. Yeah. I know that the universe mm -hmm. is said to be something on the order of 13 billion years old. Yeah. And that's based on what they believe to be the explosion called the Big Bang that right. started the universe. Mm -hmm. The mystery is that our devices that can look into outer space, the big dishes, the very large array, and the yeah. telescopes, mm -hmm. can see out about to the cosmic horizon, right. which is 46 billion Mm -hmm. miles from here and we can see stuff right out there yeah so the question is if the uh universe has been expanding for 13 billion years at the speed of light and we can see 46 billion light years into outer space then how come the universe is so much larger than the expansion of the universe would predict. It should only be 13 billion light years large. They don't know. They say yeah. 
that, well, maybe at that microsecond, at mm -hmm. the very, very beginning of the universe, that explosion was so uh, unique in its aspects and in its power that the speed of life the speed of light was not relevant, that it expanded far faster than the, speed, than of the light. speed of light. Wow. So essentially what that theory is saying is that the universe is expanding faster than we could ever observe it, right? Well, that's one aspect of it. Yeah. It's just that it argues that time, as we understand it, mm -hmm. isn't playing by its own rules as we understand <laughs> them. Yeah. Because that 46 billion light years is called the cosmic horizon. It's not called the, the border right. of the universe. Yeah. Because we know that things are disappearing beyond where we can see them and that's because light hasn't gotten there it's right. so far away okay we just can't see what's there we don't know how big the universe mm -hmm. might be so i read recently a theory that makes no sense to me which is that time and space are really and this is crazy, and I don't even pretend to understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, let's that, hear it. that they're particles. Yeah, and they only have meaning when they connect and interact together and form space and time. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if they're not in contact with each other, these particles of space and time don't produce space and time. So just sit with that. So. <laughs> trying to wrap my own head around this, space as a concept yeah. is a particle, right? Yes, okay. exactly. You are a good student. That's right. That's what it says. That's why I'm in college. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then time as a concept is another particle. Oh, yeah. And neither can exist without the other. Right. And they sometimes come into connection and mm -hmm. voila suddenly and then there's space stuff. and time there's Fuck. room yeah it creates room just massive expansiveness yeah oh okay physicists are trying they're really trying but they're humans that's why this podcast that's why we have the podcast it's called inherently human inherently. even physicists i think they need they admit it they're just human. We're just human. We're all just trying to get by. Yeah. We're all flawed in our own way. We're all perfect in our own way. Mm. And like our episode previous to us, we all have a a, a purpose to fulfill. You mm -hmm. know, we all have got a need, an ability, and a passion. And just to think that all of those things come together in this speck of nothingness, in this massive, ever-expanding shitstorm of creation. This is the universe you're calling a shitstorm. Absolutely. And okay. convince me otherwise that it's not a shitstorm. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look like one. <laughs> I mean, just within our own very simple yet so complex solar system, each planet so vastly different, each one having such massive characteristics that pull that 
define them apart from each and the other one, I mean, it's a shitstorm. It is totally a shitstorm. Most of the universe is uninhabitable. How's that for wisdom, huh? Oh, that's that was beautiful. That Thank was, you. That was artsy. That was. Well, I, that's why I said it that way. But, you know, there's another little factoid that I picked up, and that is that on one of Jupiter's moons, I can't remember if it's one of the, Enceladus one of the or Europa. Well, Titan is a moon of, is it Jupiter or is it Saturn? It's got more fuel on it than is in the core of the Earth being mined. More fuel Define than is on Earth. fuel. Well, I was afraid you'd ask that. I can't remember the <laughs> name of the chemical compound, uh, but it's like kerosene. Okay. okay, so it's a flammable... Yes. Okay. Right. And it exists in lakes on Titan. All right, but... On Enceladus, or one of the moons, uh, let's say of Jupiter, there is more salt water than mm-hmm. is in all of the oceans on Earth. And they think that there's a good potential that there might be life in those uh, ice-encrusted oceans. Yeah. On Enceladus and Europa, and I think maybe on some of these other... Um, moons mm-hmm. too which are in some sense like planets yeah it, it, really. it's funny to think that the physical planets that we have identified will hold less life than moons it, yeah. it's it's kind of it's cool to think about that that we inhabit this planet this 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 space that we have identified to be big enough as a planet yet moons the things that we find to be barren and dried and you know well, like ours yeah, ours being that way yeah, yeah like nothing more than asteroids that happen to get stuck in this mindless loop hold immense life or possibly and especially with the one with the salt water i mean that theory to me at least checks out with the theory of evolution on our own planet where all life started in the ocean mm-hmm. you know um, where from the smallest, eeny teensiest microorganism to eventually evolve into you know what we are today, right? Yeah, yeah. And so to think that these moons having the exact same parameters, if you will, to support that theory um, is fascinating to me. However, in my lifetime, I know for a fact that we will never know. And I think that's a little sad that those, if they do hold life, it won't be as evolved as we are. It won't be as... Well, that's true. It's probably yeah. microbes. If something's exactly. in there, it's very yeah. likely a microbe. It's not something that you could talk to, mm-hmm. even in their tongue. Yeah, whatever yeah. possible communication that they could have. Um what I what this all kind of reminds me of is I recently browsed, I can't say I really read it, the Carl Sagan book, uh, The Universe, I think is what it's called. It's a very popular book. you got to help me out here. Uh, um, well, I read only one of his books. It's called The Dragons of Eden. 
definitely not the one I'm thinking oh of. My like, God, tell me about that one. Look. Let's talk well, about that one. <laughs> I say one thing about it. It talked about the largest lizard on Earth, which is called the Komodo dragon. Oh, hell yeah. And it is a dangerous carnivore. It oh, will take absolutely. the human without even thinking about it. They're... Uh... Their saliva is toxic. True, it's poisonous. Mm-hmm. It could poison your blood. But the takeaway that I got from reading the book and about the Komodo dragon is it said, Carl Sagan said, that this animal can sit in place in ambush for eight hours without moving at all. And then, within a fraction of a second, Jesus. suddenly <laughs> attack if a little bunny rabbit or something comes too close. Yeah, let's go whoa! And before that, for eight hours, ten hours, it didn't move a muscle. And what he said that means mm-hmm. is that the Komodo dragon isn't thinking at all. Oh. It doesn't daydream. It has nothing going on. It's just an electrical circuit looking for movement. That is what this crazy animal is. And it just seemed to me to be sort of a really scary proposition. Yeah, that there that's something are so killing machine. machines. Machine. Yeah, it's a yeah, machine. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. It's the most natural machine that you could ever think of. God, to think. Try to try to put that in perspective of a person. Right? Yeah, like we so, we'd uh, be waiting there and uh, looking at our watch. I mean, God, it's been eight hours and no bunnies have come by. <laughs> I hate that. God. Where are they? And then one does, and we're like thinking about bunny rabbits, and we don't get the bunny rabbit. Yeah, it's the primal directive of survival, which I find fascinating that we have so far evolved from that baseline thinking to create creation, essentially. Like, we have our imagination, you know, and we can daydream. We have all these different thoughts that are far beyond I need to eat and I need to survive. And it's... I want to... I want to challenge someone. (laughs) I want to challenge someone now that they can't sit motionless like a Komodo dragon or a gator. I know that they do that kind of similar thing where they just lie there motionless. Right. Thinking of nothing but killing the first thing. Nothing's going through their pretty little head. Yeah. And so I know humans kind of do something very similar with meditation, right? Yeah. I mean, mean, (laughs) although I, if, I've never really meditated, but talking to people who do, they say that it's a continual fight because mm-hmm. the words keep flowing in, the yep. thoughts keep coming, you got to bat them away mm-hmm. one after another, and then maybe if you're really good at it, you can get some peace in your own head. Right. The only difference between us meditating and the Komodo dragon, however, is that we're not trying to murder something. I mean, or at least <laughs> most of the well, people I you, talk to. Speak for yourself, yeah. <laughs> Are you threatening me? <laughs> um, so, I guess the idea of meditation as being something 
that completely clears your mind and puts you back in a baseline line of thought of primal ability. To well, you think we can exist. get there? I mean, uh, is that? I don't guess I don't understand what you're saying. Are you saying that that might be a good thing to be sort of more Komodo dragon-like and? Ending our thoughts, well, I mean, maybe that is partly what meditation yeah. is. I guess what I'm trying to is there elaborate a Zen here yeah, is, yeah. is um, obviously in all humans, we have our primal instincts. You know, we have fight or flight, you know, where right. in any situation, are we going to run from it or are we going to kick its ass? And so there's all these instincts that we have that every organism has regardless and how that came up is far beyond me but if we can we we in our current society we have so much that we're doing we have a lot of stimulus all the time all around us there's noises and visuals and thoughts and creations and all this external stress and thinking that can go on that completely shoves down the idea of our primal instincts that we were inherently born with that makes us inherently human. human. There we go. So meditating is a way to block out all this external nonsense, the external shitstorm, just like the rest of space and time, that comes into our head. And it allows us to become simple, right? Survival is simple. Doing it is very complicated. But the idea of just existing is very simple. It's There's no complexities to it. It's just you're there. Well, that's interesting because what you're telling me is that you are embracing uh, that <laughs> philosophy. And it is... Uh, a philosophy of a certain kind where mm -hmm. ultimately the the value is purging yourself of thought and just becoming blank pure yeah yeah, 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 yeah. purely experience what is left without thought that's my question to what's you. left without thought yeah, yeah. what what are what is that optimal condition that you're talking about that you want you seem to say i guess oh that is a hard one um but you yearn for it in some way don't we all i don't know i mean i guess the idea i mean obviously people live great lives with all this external everything True. that goes around in our daily day-to-day -day lives. Yeah, it's not just modern time. No, 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 Back no, no, in no. Egypt the or time. the Stone mm -hmm. Age, it's always been this way. There have been plagues, there have been wild animals. Right, yeah. Then your mom bugging you, whatever. <laughs> but throughout all of that, there was still that one trait that we're all inherently human mm -hmm. and that we all have these base instincts that, you know, a lot of times we fall to. And to just kind of step away from the Free your mind. Yeah, free your mind, step away from everything, this modern society, 
and to just revert back to the most simplistic train of thought, which is essentially survival. I feel like that gives people a lot of... Oh, what's the word? Um, fuck, I'm... I'm missing well, out no. on the word. Oh, well, okay. You gotta help me out. Oh, I, I, it's it's all coming through. It's all coming through. I think. Um, a a feeling of existence, of presence. Well, feeling your own body, almost like feeling the blood coursing through your veins, mm-hmm. feeling a kind of joy that might not come from any specific experience. But just from feeling your aliveness, just, again, feeling your organs, all of them working in synchrony in uh, and smoothly. Yeah. That. Is that what you're talking about? I guess, yeah. I, I think the word I was looking for was self-awareness. Yeah. You know, we all strive to understand what exactly we are and why life and creation is even here. And I think the only way to understand the question itself is to revert back to a primal uh, base knowledge. You mean to be able to look at what's really important. I guess, yeah. I mean, to think... Any idea starts from... A base, right? Yeah. So, for example, this podcast, we had to start from this very simplistic small talk even before we built off of that into these conversations that we're having now, right? Yeah. And so the building blocks of existence is you have to revert back to the very bottom, the base of where it was nothing but survival and blank mindness. You know what I'm kind of trying well, to... Well, I, I think <laughs> maybe the idea of becoming a hermit for a while or going off into the woods by yourself mm-hmm. uh, and letting some sort of spirit take over. I mean freeing yourself from the thoughts of the bills that you have to pay. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to gas up the car and you forgot to do it and your refrigerator's bare. And by the way, the front room looks like shit and you haven't cleaned it in a long time. All of those thoughts yeah. take you away from self-discovery, mm-hmm. maybe. What it is to be human. Yeah, Just... to enjoy being you, whatever that is. Yeah. Exactly. Even knowing what mm-hmm. that is. No, I, I, I buy that. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'd buy that for a dollar. Uh, um, for all the RoboCop fans out there. Uh, we're actually... You... Uh, <laughs> Aiden has a problem with um, a parking things. meter. Well, you may have, but <laughs> the most immediate problem is a parking meter. And our time in this room that we have. Oh, that too? Yeah, we only have this room till 3.30. Well, um, so you tell me, man. You're the producer. (laughs) You're the guy that organizes this. Um, I think, unfortunately, this is going to have to be a shorter episode today. Tragically, I think we should come back to this topic. Um, 
after this selfhood self-awareness space-time i think there's a lot of great things that can come out of that okay i think a lot of good thoughts and i think as soon as we push this out to the public um we can get a lot of great feedback on what other people think you know um so i guess the real thought what was that question that you asked me earlier that really Uh, sent us down this rabbit hole how did you discover the Vitruvian Man? I have no idea what question I asked. Um, oh, man, I don't remember it either. But It's probably really a good question. Really a good question. Um, for those listening, go ahead and circle back about 15, 20 minutes and find that question. And then think about that. Just think about what is humanity, I guess. Um and space-time and how everything just kind of comes together. And just let us know what you think. I think uh, there's a lot of potential for it. Yeah. I mean, uh, and Lord knows if you have a suggestion of something that you would like to talk about. And I guess we could even open it up to the concept of people showing up and being on this with us. I mean, I mentioned that to Haley the yeah. other day. Yep. And she was flattered that we even thought about having her on. I know a lot of people who would love to come on and, I mean, just tell us what y'all think and we'd love to try new things here. Yeah. Yeah. But sorry that we have to cut it about, what, five minutes short? Maybe. Yeah, it's about that. The last thing I want to do is get fined for uh, mm. either my ability to park or oh, yeah. stuck I didn't in the realize, room. man. <laughs> yeah, there are risks involved in doing podcasts. Yeah. Anyway, I'm Jim Newman. <laughs> I'm Aiden DeBoard. And we're glad that you were here to listen to us. And we hope that you'll be back. Please for come back. <laughs> yet another edition of Inherently, Inherently Human. Human. That took a lot of practice. (laughs) Really, really impressive.